0: Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. Today is Friday, October 7th, 2022 and I'm Natalia Castro from Shaw, Bransford and Roth. Today we are celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month with the leading voices in elevating Hispanic Americans and their history in the federal community. Let me start by introducing our guests. First we have Jorge Zamanillo, the founding director and CEO of the National Museum of the American Latino. Jorge began working at museums in Miami in 2000 as the curator of object collections and over time organized several key exhibitions and programs. Among these programs, Jorge renovated the museum's permanent exhibition, Tropical Dreams, A People's History of Southern Florida and curated Operation Pedro Pan, the Cuban children's exodus in 2015. Welcome Jorge. Next, I am proud to welcome Vice Chair Javier Inclan of, from the National Council of Hispanic Employment Program Managers. The Council is the nation's premier authority on and advocate for efforts to improve and accelerate Hispanic participation and representation in the federal government. Javier is the Assistant Inspector General for Management and CIO at the National Science Foundation Office of the Inspector General, in addition to being Vice Chair. It's great to have you here, Javier. Before we dive in, I want to remind everyone that FedTalk is sponsored by Blue Cross Blue Shield FEP Dental. Members get fully covered in network preventative care, including up to three covered cleanings a year. Plus, no deductibles for in-network services like Fillings and Root Canal. Visit bcbsfepdental.com to learn more. To get started, I want to give each of my guests an opportunity to introduce themselves and tell me a little bit more about their work and their organizations. Javier, let's start with you at the National Council of Hispanic Employment Program Managers. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and the council?
2: Sure. Thank you, Natalia. Uh, As you mentioned, my name is Javier Inclan. Uh, I'm the Assistant Inspector General for Management and CIO at the National Science Foundation Office of Inspector General. And I am very honored uh, to have been elected the Vice Chair of the National Council of Hispanic Employment Program Managers this past January uh, 2022. Um, As you mentioned, uh, the National Council advocates for the improvement of Hispanic participation and representation in the federal government. We have over 1,000 members. Uh, that mostly include federal employees that work in um, the uh, special emphasis program field, uh, anything doing with uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, human resources, uh, whether as a full-time position or as an additional duty, depending on what their function is in their organization. Um, We hold monthly meetings with our membership to discuss various topics uh, that are related to Hispanic Hispanic employment program management, but also any type of uh, special emphasis program across the federal government. In addition, at these monthly meetings, we have expert speakers that come in based on either the um, month that it is for Hispanic Heritage Month. For example, we had um, an individual from Excellencia in Education, and every month we have a different speaker based on uh, what we're celebrating that month or something that might be uh, critical to the organization at that time.
0: Thank you so much. That's a great overview, and I'm very excited to really dive more into the work of the council to really elevate Hispanic voices within the federal government. One thing we often talk about on this show is the kind of two sides of elevating diverse voices. One of it is internal within the federal government. That's the work you're doing, Javier. And the other is really external and making sure that the federal government is communicating to the American people the stories that really make up our national identity and history. And on that side, Jorge, can you please tell me more about the National Museum of the American Latino and the work that you have just begun as director?
3: Yeah, thank you, Natalia. Yeah, again, I'm so, this is a great opportunity for myself and for the Latino community. I just joined the team about five months ago here at the Smithsonian Institution. Um, And it's an amazing opportunity for us to really establish a presence in Washington DC in the National Museum. You know, this museum uh, is in the works for over 25 years, in the 90s, in the 1990s, people have been pushing for a national museum that represented Latinos and Latino community across the US. So in December of 2020, that legislation was finally uh, signed, bill was signed and, and it was created. So we've been tasked to you know hire a director, myself, uh, find a site location for this museum and create a trustee board, a, a board of advisors. And, and we've done that. We're working on that now for the site selection Uh, But really, it's about showcasing Latino history, art, culture, scientific achievements, telling a deeper story, a really complete fuller picture of that American history narrative.
0: And that's so important. It's really great to see that our nation is finally taking these steps. Congress passed the legislation in 2020. You mentioned that this has been going on, you know, this conversation has been happening since the 90s. Can you tell me a little bit more about really that, that story of how this finally came to be in December 2020?
3: Well, like I said, it's, it's, it's years, it's years, of, years effort of effort and a push for you know, citizens, concerned uh, people in the Latino community that wanted to make sure that they had representation. And that's really the key thing here, that representation in everything we do, not only in museums, in the media, in, in a workplace, in leadership, uh, seeing your story being told, and that was, that was missing. There was a report that came out in 1994 titled Willful Neglect, which studied Latino representation at the Smithsonian, and, and they recognized there was neglect, that these stories were not being shared, uh, so the push began then to make sure that happened. So over the past 25 years, we had the Smithsonian Latino center and the Latino center created programming. We make sure that we had presence in, in different units, you know, different museums across Smithsonian with curators and people in the exhibits department. Uh, we created an internship program. All these things were done and built upon to get us to the point where we are today.
0: Wow, it really is a a building process um, that needed to take place. And you know, hearing about that report in 1994, we really have come such a long way um, in order to make this possible. You have worked, Javier or Jorge, my apologies, in many museums that have focused on uplifting Hispanic and Latino voices. Can you tell me about what you have seen as the impact of these installments in their community?
3: Definitely. It, it makes such a difference. When I was in Miami, South Florida, History of Miami Museum, I was there for over 21 years. And I think the most impactful thing we could do was reach out to different communities, such a diverse city, and, and listen to them and see what they want to see in a museum, what stories they want to, to hear, to see be told, what artifacts, what objects we can collect, we collaborate with them. And that was so important. And and we had a series of, art, of exhibits, including the Operation Pedro Pan exhibition you mentioned earlier where it was really curated by people in the, in the community. And that was so important. That's what made it uh, impactful.
0: That's great. And, and when you worked in these museums, tell me a little bit about some of the lessons that you learned that you're now taking with you into the Smithsonian for this uh, Museum of the American Latino.
3: I think the biggest lesson for us is that this needs to be a community-based museum. Even though we're a national museum, we need to remove that barrier for many communities across the United States they might not have that opportunity to visit a museum in DC and how do we do that it's through partnerships collaborations making sure we're supporting the local stories that later become the national stories
0: and i know in the next couple segments we're going to talk more about that national identity and what it really means given the diversity of the hispanic latino population in the united states we do have to stop here for our first break you're listening to fed talk on federal news network we'll be right back
1: what makes good vision coverage? I knew it when I saw it. Things like fully covered vision care exams for all members. Access to over 125,000 independent eye care providers and national retailers. Plus benefits you can use at many online retailers. That's why I chose Blue Cross Blue Shield FEP Vision. And plans start as low as $12 a month. See what we can do for you at bcbsfepvision.com.
0: Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. I am here celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month with guests from the National Museum of the American Latino and the National Council of Hispanic Employment Program Managers. For this segment, we are really going to be focusing in on Hispanic Heritage Month. And I want to just kick it off um, talking about what that really means to each of the people in in my little group here today, my discussion. So Javier, um, I'll start with you. Can you tell me what what does Hispanic Heritage Month really mean to you?
2: Sure. Um, so personally, uh, my dad came from Cuba in the early 1960s. Uh, my mom came from Spain. They married in Spain and came here in 1966. Um, to the day that my dad passed away uh, 10 years ago, he teared up every, every time he heard the Star Spangled Banner because he knew that no matter... Um, the struggles and the challenges that he and my mom and, and therefore our family went through that this is the greatest country in the world. Um, and to me, I take that with me. Um, I think there is absolutely an opportunity to be American, uh, while still keeping uh, that heritage and that culture. Uh, so, you know, for instance, I like, you know, lechong and congri, but I also like pizza and, you know, hamburgers, right? Um, So to me personally, uh, being able to give back as the vice chair of the National Council is really important to me. I think, you know, if not me and if not us, then who? Uh, And I think that's really what we need to do. We need to strive and move forward and be able to help the next generation of Hispanic and Latino Americans succeed in not only the federal government, but in any situation and career that they decide.
0: That's a really incredible story. And my mom uh, came from Argentina and my dad's Puerto Rican. So I very much understand that kind of um, immigrant mentality of just the really joy that comes from being here and um, being able to experience the wonderful things that this country has while also maintaining that identity. Jorge, can you tell us a little bit from your perspective about what Hispanic Heritage Month means for you?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's so important. Like like Javier, you know, I I grew up in South Florida, same Cuban immigrant parents, I was born in New York, they arrived in 66 and the freedom flights. Um, So it's real special growing up, uh, knowing that there is a recognition for all our achievements, contributions, you know, our diverse cultures that that is so important. And you know, what started off as a week celebration back in the 60s, later on in the 80s, under Ronald Reagan became a month long celebration. Um, what we like to say here at the museum is that you know every day is Hispanic Heritage Month or a celebration, uh, and that's our goal with this museum to make sure that um, you have that recognition and that interweaving of stories throughout the year. But it, but it, it is it is significant. Like you said, you can't lose your connection with your heritage, and that's so important.
0: Yeah, it's um it's interesting. For me personally, um I was born in New York. I grew up my younger years in New York with my family, you know, being Puerto Ricans in New York. It's like there's such a culture there just in that. Um and I really loved it. And then when I was in my kind of middle school, high school years, my family moved to an area of central Florida where it almost felt like you had to constantly choose between having a Hispanic identity or being, you know, kind of traditional white American. And it was really difficult for me to, for the first time in my life, have to separate these identities. And it wasn't until I went off to college and later on in my life that I really reclaimed that sense of being both, of being Hispanic American. And I really appreciate what you're saying, Jorge, about making Hispanic Heritage Month all year round because it highlights the importance of making sure that no individual in their community, no Hispanic American, has to feel like being Hispanic makes them less American in any way, and I and I think that that is a critical conversation that has to happen all year round. So it's not just one month out of the year that you can really feel like you can celebrate your identity. And in that vein, uh, the National Museum of the American Latino, while it's not open yet, is still doing events, really highlighting the, the impact of this month, um, sharing the story of Hispanic Americans. Jorge, can you tell us about some of the things the Smithsonian is doing to elevate Hispanic voices this month?
3: Definitely. We, you know, we kicked off celebrations. We had a, a two-day festival last week, in, uh Latino Heritage Festival we presented you know different ways you could celebrate through music., uh, we had a dance party, we had a concert. We had some hands-on activities for all ages. Uh, next this week coming up, and actually in another week or two, we have a another event called Last Call, which is a salute to American Latinos and beer, Believe it or not, it's, you know everybody loves beer across the United States. So it's like, how do we tie that in and, you know, nation brewers and, and beer lovers together to talk about a different variety of ingredients, for instance, that have Latino roots, the prickly pear, the sugar, the tamarind, the guava they're using now in different IPAs and beer styles. It's really interesting how you can weave uh, all these other traditional stories in, into what we do during Hispanic Heritage Month.
0: And you guys also have a lot of resources and toolkits that I noticed on your website that are really specifically geared toward helping schools and families celebrate Hispanic heritage month. Can you tell me about some of those resources?
3: Sure. You know, we offer bilingual resources uh, on our website and sharing with the classroom and they're all free of charge, of course, and just exploring different topics and themes, you know, Latino music, uh contemporary visual arts spoken word poetry you know these are great for the classrooms in in arts english language arts social studies Uh, so different curriculum that you, you could apply it to and that makes it so so easy so accessible for everyone
0: yeah, I, I saw that on your website. And I immediately started sending it to all my friends who are, you know, teachers who work in schools who have young children. Um, and I was just telling them, like, you got to share this stuff. It really is such a great toolkit and, and resources that you have on your website. So I really encourage people to check that out. Um, especially if you're, you know, not familiar or comfortable sharing these stories. Um, there are so many great ways that you can just pick up some of these toolkits and and share them and really help um, elevate those voices even if you're not part of the community because that's what it's really about it's not just it is a celebration for us but it's also communicating that to the greater public um and, and helping them celebrate this month with us as well. Now, I want to talk to Javier. The council is also doing some really great work geared toward Hispanic Heritage Month. Can you tell us about uh, the theme that you guys selected for this month?
2: Sure. So the theme uh, for this year, for 2022, is Unidos Inclusivity for a Stronger Nation. Uh, And let me just say that the council is responsible for coordinating uh, the selection of the theme, as well as the poster that follows uh, the theme. But it really is, there are submissions from across the country. Um, so we open up uh, the submission for the theme in February. There's a number of rounds uh, that members of the council, uh, which as I mentioned before, have over a thousand members, uh, they vote on. And then once the finalist is selected, we then issue a call for the posters that will be generated um, based on that theme. Uh, and I think this year, uh, it really is powerful uh, you know, to talk about inclusion and how we could really Um, become an integral part of not only within the Hispanic community, but also across the country and, and, you know, being allies of all other uh, individuals and members across the country. Um, You know, so it it really is something that we take pride in because it's developed by members of the public, uh, not necessarily, or, or just not members of the federal government, but also, you know, public schools Um, individual, you know, members from the general public. So uh, we try to be inclusive in our selection process as well, uh, which is, you know, it does fall well into the theme this year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, 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 again, looked on your website and saw the the beautiful poster. Um, It was really incredibly done and it speaks to the theme well, which, which as you mentioned is Unidos, the inclusivity for a stronger nation. And, um, and I really, it's, it's a beautiful piece of art. And, and I think you guys did an incredible job working through that selection process. Can you tell me about some of the activities and things that the council is doing?
2: Absolutely. Um, So every year, um, we partner with uh, the League of United Latin American Citizens, or LULAC, which is the largest and oldest Hispanic membership organization in the country. Uh, During their Federal Training Institute conference, uh, this year was held in in San Juan, Puerto Rico in July. Uh, We serve as speakers, as moderators, uh, as volunteers uh, to help FTI with their program. But this year, we're really proud of trying to replicate uh, that type of forum in a virtual environment um, this October. So next week, October 11th and 13th, we're doing two half-day sessions uh, to really almost mimic uh, what we did back in July in person, understanding that not everybody has the training dollars or the availability to attend in person. uh, But it's something that we felt was uh, so important, especially during Hispanic Heritage Month. So next Tuesday, uh, from 1 to 4, we will have a leadership development uh, pro- uh, program that's broken out into four different tracks. The first one is uh, Hispanic Employment Program Managers. The second one is Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility. Then we have Leadership Development and then Allyship. And then on Thursday, we're really excited to host a, an SES and GS-15 Speed Mentoring Forum where we have 24 uh, executive level mentors signed up. And we, I just heard this morning from, uh, oh, let me just say, Glorimar Maldonado, which is our, our chair, was not unable to make it today, but she really needs all the credit in, in organizing us this year and not only getting this forum together, but all of the activities that we've had on a monthly basis and to grow our membership to over a thousand. Um, but we, I, she just told me this morning that we were sold out as far as our mentees, right? Because unfortunately, we do have to place a limit Um, in order to make it successful. Um, So we have our full complement of mentors. We have a full complement of mentees. uh, And that's really something that we're proud of because, and and by the way, it's not just for Hispanics, right? I think that needs to be uh, mentioned. You know, We have mentors that are not Hispanic or Latino. We have mentees that are not Hispanic or Latinos, uh, folks that are really involved in the four tracks that I mentioned before of Hispanic Employment Program Management, DEIA, those that want to have some type of leadership development and certainly allyship. So those are uh, two of the things, you know, the in-person in July and then the virtual forum uh, next week that the council puts together, um, hopefully going forward on an annual basis.
0: That's really great. It sounds like um, a- an incredible event. I- I'm signed up. So I'm very excited. I think it's going to be a-, a really exciting program. And I really I appreciate that it's virtual because I think that that does increase accessibility for a lot of people, you know, across the country who either can't travel, don't have the funding to travel, I think it makes a really big difference. Um, and I think it's going to be a really, really great event. I'm curious, Jorge, um, I saw you nodding along a couple times. Do you have any reactions to what you're seeing going on, um, you know, from Javier across the federal community to also celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month with a focus towards the employees?
3: Yeah, you know, with the virtual exhibits, we ha- we have a, a couple now that we're, we're offering. They're really important. You know, we have the, the foundational exhibit at American History Museum, uh, Presente, Latino History of the United States. So we've made that a virtual component also. There's a, a website where you can visit and see highlights and oral histories and see some of the 3D objects. and You can rotate them and manipulate them. Uh, you can hear some historical biographies. So that's one way we're doing. We're also partnering. We have a collaboration with Google Arts and Culture where we create two online exhibitions uh, exploring Latino diversity in the United States and another one called Si Puede, Latino History of Voting Rights in the United States. And what a great way, you know, to share these resources w- with everyone across the government to really, uh, you know, help them learn more about what we're doing and how they can get involved.
0: That's awesome. Again, that virtual just really increases the accessibility um and it's definitely something that people need to check out. That is also available on your website. I'm just going to keep plugging it uh because there it's just such a, has such a wealth of resources that people need to check out. We do need to stop here for our second break. We will continue this discussion after a quick word from our sponsors. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network.
1: Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. One team working all three branches. Judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. sb employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers. Legislative. Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients. Executive. Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed manager and Fed agent. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government. Online at shawbransford.com. sb Client-focused, results-driven.
0: We're back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We are just entering the second half of our show on elevating and uplifting Hispanic and Latino voices in the federal government. In this segment, we're going to talk about the really need to appreciate the diversity of our community. Hispanic and Latino Americans come from many diverse backgrounds. And I want to ask each of you about how you've strived to tell those stories um, and and acknowledge the diversity in our community, while also uplifting a somewhat unified Hispanic-Latino identity. And I will start um, with Javier with just some reactions to that.
2: Sure. I mean, we we need to understand that there's over 20 Spanish-speaking countries across the world. And while we share a language, uh, I heard something the other day that, that really struck me. Nobody owns a language. It's a shared language. Right. So that could be English, that could be Spanish, it could be others. Uh, but especially within the Hispanic and Latino community, there are words that mean something for me and Jorge, you know, coming from a, a Cuban you know, background that may not sound the same or, or mean the same for my mom, who's from Spain right, or somebody from Puerto Rico, or right, I'd mentioned Lechon before, but it's Pernil somewhere else, and it's Cerdo somewhere else, Um, we need to appreciate that and grow from that. Just like we talk about inclusion and inclusivity across all different types of cultures, we also have to do that within the Hispanic community, right, and be accepting of that and understand that, because while we share the same language, There are different things that, you know, make us who we are uh, from our background, especially, you know, Natalia, you mentioned, you know, Argentine and Puerto Rican, Um, you know, so there's certainly, you know, differences uh, within those two cultures, but we do share that language, we do share a strong uh, sense of belonging, and we need to do the best we can to make sure that we're not acting as Crabs in a bucket is the best way I could I, I, I could say it. Um, unfortunately, in my career, both in, in the public and private sector, I have seen that. I've witnessed that. Um, sometimes it has to do with tokenism, right? So somebody says, we need a Latino to do this, or we need a Hispanic to do that. And, and there's this internal fighting of who it's going to be based on uh, geography. Uh, and I think we need to remove that. We need to strive to get away from that. And try to be more inclusive and make sure that we're helping each other move forward.
0: Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Jorge, do you have any uh, reactions?
3: Yeah, that, that's a great point. You know, it, it's about those shared experiences, right? You're talking about, you know, what do we what we have in common that brings us together as, as this community? You know, when, when we're thinking about exploring different themes and topics for, for our museum. You know, there's a lot of things we could talk about, immigration and migration stories, push and pull factors that brought us here, um, stereotypes. Natalia, you, miss, you mentioned the pressures of assimilation, you know, fitting in that, that, that a lot of people have to go through in their communities. But at the same time, you know, it's like two-sided coin. You know, How do you celebrate the accomplishments, the, the culture, the history, the achievements, the legacies that have been established? I think when you combine those and start analyzing them all, it's when you come out, like Javier mentioned, those shared experiences that we all have in common, and I think that's where a connection uh, is evident.
0: Absolutely. And as you, Jorge, have worked to build this museum that's really supposed to showcase the history and the identity of Latinos in the United States, how have you confronted this diversity in really elevating these diverse voices? You you spoke a little bit about it, but I'd like to pull that thread a little bit more.
3: Sure. Um, you know, it, 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 it's a difficult subject, you know, many people come into the gallery and ask us, you know, who is Latino, who is Hispanic, what does it mean, some people use Latinx, there's many terms that are being identified, I always like telling everyone, you know, you you use a term and, and, and the identity that you feel comfortable with, if someone asks me where I'm from, I say I'm Cuban American, you, know, you might say Mexican, you might say Venezuelan, it's really about the diaspora in the United States, you know, what your your ancestors from Latin America, Spain, the Caribbean, wherever it may be, it's really about those common threads you share as, you know, an American citizen or American uh, resident, you know, and what is it you have in common? I also like to point out a quick story. You know, I love doing uh, DNA, you know, testing and, and 23andMe and, and family, you know, you, you start doing all this research into your genealogy. And it's interesting because, you know, we have, let's say Javier and I might have great, great grandparents in Spain that we share. Uh, but, you know, my parents might have been born in Cuba and then my friend's parents might have been born in Mexico or Venezuela. But we share that common ancestry. Many of us do, and then when you when you start talking to each other, when you see each other in the gallery, and you start seeing these stories. You realize how much you have in common, yet you, you still maintain your unique heritage, right? Your your background, your family, because you grew up with different customs, maybe. But at the, end of the at the end of the day, I tell everyone. We still like rice and beans, and we still still like all these things that bring us together. They're tied in our blood, and you can't avoid that.
0: (laughs) No, absolutely, and I really do appreciate that. You know, realizing what what does bring us together and what has. You know, that shared common history. I'm wondering if there have been any real struggles that you have had to overcome in telling diverse stories in this community, either with, you know, this national museum or throughout your career in, in Miami and in some of these other places that you've worked.
3: Yeah, it, it, it goes back to the crabs and the pot analogy that I've mentioned. There's such a struggle for for identity within within cultures. I remember in Miami at one point uh, me, meeting with a community, um, older Cuban community, and they were saying, you know, if it wasn't for us Cubans, you know, Miami wouldn't be what it is today. And then years later, I met with a Venezuelan community in Doral, and they said, you know, if it wasn't for us Venezuelans, Miami isn't <laughs> wouldn't be what it is today. So you do have this. You know, there is a little bit of ego going into this, and you know, representation. You know, and you feel like your your community is. One thing or the other, but at the end of the day, if it wasn't for either one of them, Miami wouldn't be what it is today, right? You know, this continuing cultural exchange and and development and evolution, and that's the same thing for for our museum. It's bringing all these different uh, people together, all these different communities together, and 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 the only way there is strength is in numbers, right? You know, we're not monolithic, but you know, we are uh, one community. Know, we're all races, and that's really important.
0: I liked how you called it an evolution, because you're right. It is a constantly evolving process of understanding our identities and how they interrelate with each other. Javier, I'm wondering if you have any uh, reactions to what Jorge explained with with his experience.
2: Yes, uh, I'm laughing because as I'm listening to Jorge speak about Miami, um, there were probably two locations in the 60s that Cubans went to. Right. Miami was one. Union City, New Jersey was the second. My dad picked Union City. I hate the snow. I don't know why he picked Union City, but, you know, it is what it is. But when I go back home, um, it's no longer a Cuban-American um, area. Right. It's it's more Central American, South American, um, you know, other Caribbeans. Right. Dominicans have a, a strong presence in Union City and in northern you know, New Jersey uh, as a whole. And and we need to understand that, accept that, and welcome that, and and really uh, embrace that, right? Um, it, it goes to what we were talking about before, about being inclusive within our own community. How do we expect others to accept us when we don't accept each other? Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, you know, the whole uh, crabs in a bucket issue, um, I understand there's strong feelings about heritage, and, and I have them as well. Um, but we need to be, uh, our aperture needs to be wider. And we need to make sure that we are sticking together when it comes to that in a very positive and productive way, not just to, you know, go into our own holes and and be pessimistic about things that happen in the future. Um, You know, Miami, Union City and other areas, um, we need to celebrate our Hispanic culture, regardless of what country we come from.
0: Absolutely. And I think there can also be a sense at times of, Well, I went through the struggle to assimilate. I went through the immigration struggle. So other people should have to, too. And I think we as a community can really benefit from, you know, accepting what we have in common, acknowledging what we have in common and supporting that next generation, which so many of us do, but can always be something that we strive um, to really help and push forward. Uh, together. And I want to talk more, Javier, about the work of the council and how you guys have confronted the diversity in the community um, and used it as a way to bring people together and advance Hispanic Americans in the federal government as a whole.
2: Yeah, you know, this is certainly a journey and not a destination, right? Um, You know, sometimes it's one step forward, maybe, you know, one or two steps back, sometimes two steps forward, one step back. Uh, we it, it is a struggle. Um, there's there's two things that I would like to say. Number one is we need to do better to prepare our own community for the next step. Right? People are always talking about uh, Javier. How would you get to the Senior Executive Service? Right? So I, I tell my story, and then well, how do I get there? Well, what are you doing now? And how can I help you prepare? Uh, we talk about you know only four per, four point something percent of the federal workforce uh, of the SES are uh, members of senior executive service that doesn't start at the higher levels we have to start at the lower levels right the gs7s the gs9s the gs11s and how do we prepare them to get to the next step and and there's also you know the, the second part of that is we have to be very self reflective and we have to be while while we understand that people need help we have to understand where they are and help them get to the point and not give any false expectations right so that's why the council partners with organizations like LULAC and others to have these professional development opportunities to make sure that we network, right? People reach out to me after these, you know, speaking engagements or workshops. Hey, can I talk to you about this? Absolutely. We need to make sure that we make ourselves available for that next generation so that we could then move the next generation forward. I've been blessed in my career and and I've been, you know, helped by folks uh, across the way. I've had a lot of allies, not necessarily uh, Hispanic or Latinos, uh, but more, actually African-American females and then African-American males that have helped me and sponsored me unofficially uh, throughout my career. And I want to give that back. And I think that's part of the council's um, mission is to make sure that we get our membership involved so that we could expand and we could really make a difference in how people not only progress within the federal government, but know that there's a federal government to progress in, right? You know, we start with, is the federal government a career path for folks? I think it is. And I think we need to get that word out and make sure that we're recruiting people um, that really have good intentions uh, and have good um, potential when it comes to working in the federal government.
0: Absolutely. And one of the things that I've noticed that your organization does to really make sure that they are working with the scope uh, of diverse persons and helping elevate and fill gaps in representation is your partnerships with other minority-serving institutions, uh, state and local organizations. Can you tell me more about how you utilize those partnerships to really fill the gaps?
2: Yeah, and, and I mentioned uh, Excellencia in Education the uh, before, and the other day at our meeting last week, uh, they were very clear about, you know, they provide their service free of charge to the community, and they have developed, uh, for example, a list of Hispanic-serving institutions that's readily available to us. We have it on our website. You know, it's something that we could use to recruit um, Hispanics and Latinos into the federal government. Uh, we partner with, like, as I mentioned before, LULAC in their Federal Training Institute initiatives. You know, those are the things that we really need to focus on because not one organization is going to solve this puzzle. It's going to take a, 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 a an entire collection, Jorge's Museum, right? You know, other organizations that are going to have exposure to our community as, the, as much as we could get the word out that we're here to help, the better we're going to be as a community.
0: Yeah, I think that's incredible. I so appreciate it. Um, when, when my grandma came to this country, she, it was a couple of years out from the census and she became a census worker and she went door to door. And I've, I've had, had so many conversations with her about, you know, why she did this work. And she always said that, you know, her biggest fear was that someone would knock on her door, who didn't speak Spanish, who didn't know how to ask the questions to her family, and then she would be underrepresented. She wouldn't count in this country. And so she became a census worker because she was afraid that this was a gap that she wanted to fill in her community. And she'd heard the fear from people about the census. And so I always I always think of her when I hear about elevating this, the work of federal employees and having Hispanic representation in the federal government, because she acknowledged that issues. She was so early in her time in this country. And it was really important for her to fill it. And she was a census worker in many censuses um, before she retired. And I think that having that representation. And having a pipeline so that Hispanics know that they can come and work in the federal government and they want to be in the federal government is so critical. And in our next segment, we are going to talk more about how we uplift those voices year round, how we really ensure that there is a presence in our government of this community. And I'm really excited to continue that conversation. So we'll stop here for our last break. And when we return, we will wrap this up.
1: What makes good vision coverage? I knew it when I saw it. Things like fully covered vision care exams for all members. Access to over 125,000 independent eye care providers and national retailers. Plus benefits you can use at many online retailers. That's why I chose Blue Cross Blue Shield FEP Vision. And plans start as low as $12 a month. See what we can do for you at bcbsfepvision.com.
0: Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We are entering the last segment of our show. Let's dive right in. So, Hispanic Heritage Month is just one month out of the year, but the things we've talked about in the show, the importance of uplifting these identities, of sharing this rich and diverse history, it really needs to happen all year long. And so I want to talk to each of you about how we keep the conversation going. And one of the key ways that I know the National Museum of the American Latino is doing that is through their um, permanent gallery that's going on right now in the Museum of American History and some of the other year-round events that are going on. Jorge, can you tell us a little bit more about that?
3: We had an amazing opportunity over the past few years to start developing a gallery at the National Museum of American History. And, you know, it's great uh, foresight with with my predecessors thinking, you know, this museum might not happen for a while. What do we do? How do we start establishing that presence? So about seven years ago, they started fundraising for what became the Molina Family Latino Gallery and the Molina family, uh, their kids, uh, the five uh, children of Dr. Molina each contributed to, to towards this founding gift to open this gallery. Uh, it's finished, it opened in June with the first exhibit that opened June 18th, it was called Presente, it's called Presente, and it's Latino history in the United States. And it's really a foundational work, like, you know, 101, what does it mean to be Latino in the United States and explores different topics and themes. Uh, and it's, it's, it's amazing uh, the reaction and the response we've gotten already uh, I, I love telling the story, We you know, we opened with a big private VIP party on a Thursday night. But the more important one to me was a Saturday when we opened to the public because the gallery was full. We had thousands of people going through each day for weeks. And and I started walking around, talking to everyone. And, and when you speak to them, 90% of them were Latino. They went there to see their gallery, see their, their stories being told. And that was so special. Uh, it, it was a pilgrimage. It's the same as the African-American Museum is. People, it's a destination museum. They're they're coming here to see this gallery, which is only 4,500 square feet. It's a nice size. But imagine when we have over 100,000 square feet of programming space for exhibits. It's it's gonna be an amazing experience. And I think people are really looking forward to that. I like telling everybody, um, we continue the story all year round. Like I said before, Hispanic Heritage Month, week, whatever you might call it, it, it's really about how do we communicate that every day of the year. Um, And not only for us today, it's really for our future generations. It's for my kids, my grandkids and yours. So when they come uh, to DC, when they come to a national museum, we can ensure that those stories will be there. So when they face those pressures of assimilation and stereotypes and struggles and things they're thinking about, they can see how we got to where we are today. And that's gonna make quite a difference.
0: Absolutely. And it's so great to hear that this is going on, that there is a space in the Museum of American History to celebrate these stories. And and I can't wait to check it out. I definitely have to make my way there um, very soon. And the council is also hosting events throughout the year through these virtual forums, where you bring people together to have these necessary conversations about elevating the Hispanic identity within the federal workforce. Javier, can you tell me a little bit more about these forums and how you how you utilize them as a space to keep the conversation going.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that, Natalia. And and I think it's 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 twofold, right? It's number one is you know using these forums to educate new and collateral duty special emphasis program managers, whether they're Hispanic specifically or they work on veterans issues, uh, African American issues, or other uh, special emphasis programs. And then the second thing is is to develop. Those networks that we discussed before and, and partner with other organizations and other individuals to make sure that we're all inclusive when it comes to uh, having allies and also champions of the Hispanic community. Um, you know, this isn't, you know, September 15th or October 15th issue, and then we forget about it until the following year. We want to make sure that we're using these training opportunities, these networking opportunities to really enhance. Our participation uh, within the council, but also to uh, expand our networks. One of the things that that Glow did as the chair, she uh, proposed and, and it actually just passed a change in our organizational structure to include subcommittees uh, that are standing committees. You know, whether it's education or you know partnerships, uh, other you know communications. We really want to hit the gas to make sure that we have a 12 month program that's almost repetitive year after year based on the need of the organization so that we could not only grow our membership, but make sure we're providing um, the necessary tools so that the community could help us move our Hispanic employment program uh, management uh, issues forward throughout the federal government.
0: That's great. You know, we often on this show talk about the importance of mentorship, the value of having a strong network. And these forums really provide an opportunity for people who may feel very siloed or focused on just their individual position to expand that network so that we can really see that representation in the leading levels of government. Um, As you mentioned in the last segment, it's very unfortunate that when you get to the SDS level, the diversity really drops off and having that mentorship, that network to be able to connect with is so critical for ensuring that people can move up the pipeline um, and, and are not stagnant in their position. So really kudos to you guys on creating that type of environment. The museum is also working on, um, you know, bringing in employees in order to really, you know, it's very important that the museum has the staff to be able to share this story. And can you tell me about some of the internships and fellowships that you are offering at the National Museum of the American Latino to bring in students in government service through the museum?
3: Sure. Well, you know, the museum cultivates Uh, future museum workers and leaders through its Latino uh, Museum Studies program and a community conscious leaders, uh, a younger audience through the Young Ambassadors program. Uh, We've been actively funded and advocated for curatorial positions in Smithsonian for years, and it's made quite a difference in collections, exhibitions, exhibitions and research. Um, For instance, the Young Ambassadors program, it's a nationally recognized program, and it's for graduating high school seniors um you know it fosters that next generation of community conscious latino leaders in the arts sciences and humanities you know, they come here for for washington a week uh, during the summer and then they, they go back and they and they, and they and they serve at internships in different communities across the united states um so you have all these different partners throughout the u.s we have with science museums art museums um, different cultural organizations in the u.s and puerto rico to prepare them for, for that work and and we're majoring in in a certain area of study. So that's really important. Then the next one we do is a Latino Museum Studies program. And that's, you know, again, to increase our representation uh, in the community. Um, And it's so important that internship program, you know, this is with undergrads, undergraduate students, and it focuses in areas of conservation, museum education, digital culture, exhibition design. Again, we're cultivating those future museum workers, that staff that we need at, at, at every level um uh, so those those two programs are so key for us
0: absolutely and it's so critical to get that next generation to really recognize the value of public service and the value of storytelling uh, of sharing the, the history of these people with the next generation which is you know really at the heart of what so much of the museum does now, you guys also, I noticed um, under your staff resources page, have a working group dedicated um, to promoting the recruitment and retention of Latino and Latina staff within the institution. Can you tell me about that and some of the other staff resources that you offer?
3: Sure. Yes, we have a Latino Initiative School, and that—that's uh, you know, grant money that we, we direct. Uh, towards doing that. So for instance, 25 years ago, there was no uh, curator of uh, Latino art at the portrait gallery. There was no uh, curator in American history that had a focus on Latino history. Uh, So now, you know, we have three or four curators at American history. We have a Latino curator of American art at at the portrait gallery. We have someone um, at the Air and Space Museum. We have all these different places where we, you know, we, we have staff, we have uh, team members that are well-versed in, in, in our culture and in, in our history to make sure that those uh, stories are being integrated throughout their work. It's not just a one, one-off exhibit that's done every five years. It's something that's done continuously every day in all their work. So for instance, if you go to the National Museum of American History today, there's an exhibit called Playball on Latinos and Baseball and that's been up for the past year and that's traveling the nation. As, as an exhibit now. And that was created by American History, thanks in part to the funding from the Latino Initiatives Pool. So that's instrumental going forward.
0: Well, and it really shows how far we have come since the 1994 report on willful neglect. It really, to hear that these positions exist, these funds exist. Um, I really, we started the show with the conversation, but I can't emphasize enough that it's not, we were at a place of willful neglect. And now 30 years later, we're in a place where we almost have a a full museum. It is so much that had to be done over the last 30, almost 40 years to create the place that we are at now. And I want to discuss um, as we get to the end of this show, Javier, can you just tell me very, I want a frank uh, conversation about what are the barriers that still exist and persist that kind of stifle the advancement of this community in the federal government and how the council is really working to counter those so that the next 30 years, the next 40 years look even brighter than the last?
2: Yeah. So so there's two things. Uh, I think one of the things that I mentioned is, you know, our, our membership needs to grow. Although we have over a thousand members, uh, we have approximately 50 folks that come on a regular basis to, to our monthly meetings. We want to make sure we expand that. Um, membership in the council is free, absolutely free. What's free in this day and age? Right. So, you know, if somebody goes to National Council, H-E-P-M.org, they could sign up uh, for free membership. The other thing I wanted to talk about, which I mentioned during a, a panel last week is accent bias. I think that is something that we really don't talk about enough um, because there, you know, there's, a, there's a traditional bias or unconscious bias in the interview process to begin with. But I think accent bias is something that we really need to focus on. You know, I'll mention my dad again, and clearly you could see that, you know, how proud I am of my father. He had an accent when he came to this country, right? He spoke English his entire life, you know, with an accent, but his vocabulary was bar none. I always said he probably had a better vocabulary than I did. Um, He could recite Hamlet like nobody's business. Um, But because of that accent, people reacted to him in a different way. And I think that is part of the problem that we have or a barrier that we need to eliminate as part of that unconscious or even conscious bias that some hiring managers have. Um, So if I had to pick one area right now today, the accent bias is something that really bothers me, and I think we need to uh, move past that and move beyond that.
0: And it's great to hear that you guys are hosting these forums, that you're working to expand your membership so that people can become more familiar with these issues. And as you mentioned, it's not just Hispanic or Latino Americans that need to join these forums, but it is a larger population so that they can hear and understand these issues and make progress on them. This has been a really incredible program. I very much appreciate the opportunity to highlight the value of Hispanic heritage, not just this month, but all year round. I'm going to encourage everyone to check out latino.si.edu. That is the homepage for the National Museum of the American Latino, where they can learn more about the incredible work going on at this museum, as well as National Council HEPM.org, where they can learn more about the Hispanic Employment Program Managers, the National Council. Um, and then I want to thank everyone here for joining me today. Jorge, founding director and CEO of the National Museum of the American Latino, um, Javier, the vice chair of the National Council of Hispanic Employment Program Managers, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. Bed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Bransford & Roth. Have a great weekend and don't forget to check out some Hispanic Heritage Month resources and events in your community.